Hey folks, this is Al Schneer from the band Mo. This summer, we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary of the Summer Camp Music Festival. And I can't think of a better way to kick off summer every year than by being in Chillicothe with all of you folks. So I just want to say thank you to all of you and all the folks at Summer Camp who make it possible every year. All the folks in the band Mo and all of our other friends who show up every year. It's a great way to kick off summer. So here's cheers to 20 years, summer camp. I get by with a little help from my friends. I'm gonna try with a little help from my friends. I get high with a little help from my friends. Yes, I get by with a little help from my friends. Cheers to 20 years, summer camp. See y'all in Chillicothe. You're listening to the Summer Camp Music Festival Podcast with your host, Camp Counselor Derek. Ahoy, campers. So, how you doing? Uh, when we last met, that is to say in my previous Season 4 preview episode... I said I'd be back in just a week or two with my interview of Billy Strings. So that Billy Strings episode, which was originally recorded on February 15th and intended for release the weeks following that, got held up in a website redesign for a couple weeks, something which I have nothing to do with. And then this happened. Breaking developments in the coronavirus pandemic. WHO? has been assessing this outbreak around the clock and we're deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. The U.S. now has surpassed Italy as the country with the most total deaths from coronavirus. More than 20,000 people have died of COVID-19, and more than half a million Americans have contracted the virus. For the first time in history, all 50 states are under a major disaster declaration this morning. Crazy times, eh? And now, more than two and a half months later, everything has changed. In my experience, listening to podcasts recorded before the pandemic seemed kind of outdated. Uh, it seems like we view everything with a different lens now. You watch TV shows and think, oh man, those people are in such close proximity to each other. Stop touching your face. But such is the world we live in now. So, um... I'm kind of kind of break from my original format here. So how this works is I, I normally pretty much have everything I say relatively scripted out, and um, uh, part of the holdup in this episode has been, you know, when the pandemic started, it seemed insignificant. Um, not not the interview with Billy Strings, of course, but just just the whole thing. And I was bummed, and I didn't think summer camp was going to happen. And so I was kind of just waiting to see in the beginning. 
And then uh, it became pretty clear to me that it wasn't going to happen on Memorial Day weekend. Um, This was before it was actually announced that it had been changed. So then along came uh, the announcement from Jay Goldberg and the summer camp staff that they had uh, secured all the main stage acts, all the top tier acts, uh, which of course is Moe and Umphreys and... um, Ween, J-Rad, Billy Strings, 3-6 Mafia, Grizz, Rez, STS-9, and Tipper. Uh, they came back and said, you know, we've secured Three Sisters Park for August 22nd. Uh, or for August 20th to the 23rd. Um, and, you know, at that point, uh, they said, we're going we're gonna to move everything. And it's going to uh, it's going to be the same festival with the same pre-party, and we're going to try to get all the same artists. And so at that point, I went and I rewrote this intro um, with plans to release the podcast. Uh, but then, uh, you know, the longer this goes on, I just I have my doubts, you know. And so that's that's where we're at right now. Um, but uh, somebody did reach out to me from uh, you know from the staff over there and say you know hey we'd like to release that Billy Strings episode and of course I don't want it to go to waste. It's a great interview. Stick around for it. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit about you know what's happening here. Um, so uh, as we stand right now, it's April twenty first is when I'm recording this. Uh, happy day after four twenty. And um, right now, the, the, the festival is still, um, you know, putting out promo materials and proceeding as normal, uh, assuming that the festival is going to happen <clears throat> August 20th to the 23rd. So I just, uh, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I haven't talked to anyone over there. Um, this podcast is my own thing. It's, uh, it's, it's put out by them but it's entirely made by me. Honestly, I don't even know if anyone listens to it before they upload it. So hopefully I'm not getting myself in trouble here. Uh, that said, I, I want to be realistic. I don't want to get people's hopes up. Um, you know, at this point, they're talking about opening things gradually. And um, and I know there are states in which uh, this whole pandemic is... Uh, maybe less of a deal than the economy to them in terms of how many people it's affected. Right right now, we've got about 24,000 people in my county alone. Uh, Cook County. I live in Chicago. And um, the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, um, has said, you know, we're going to eventually roll things out to where restaurants and bars can open up and I think there's going to be smaller venues that open, and I think it's going to be impossible to get tickets to anything because I just don't think the larger venues are going to open for a while. And um, maybe they will by late summer. Um, But as far as festivals, I mean, think about it. You know, they're saying a lot of things. I've seen things that say, you know, it's not a good idea to go back to this until 2021 sometime you know go go back to these large events of all the things that we could get back you know i mean obviously small businesses will come first and then medium-sized venues and it just seems to me 
like a 20,000 plus person festival where people camp in close proximity in August is probably the last thing that they're going to allow to open. Now, again, these are my words. These are not the words of the festival. As far as I can tell, they are proceeding as normal. So, uh, so that's the plan here to proceed as normal. Um, after I just say this, I just, I just don't want people to get their hopes up. You know, the hygiene thing's an issue. You got twenty thousand people. It just seems like the last event that the state would allow. Um, and if they do allow it, I will say this: I will be there. Um, I have blocked off my calendar for August 20th to the 23rd. If the festival happens, I will be there. But I think if it does happen, we will be looked down on by a lot of people. And um, I think it'll come off as those idiot young people. Uh, But I will be one of those idiot people, maybe not young. Um, So I'm on board. And I'm not saying anything uh, negative about the festival organizers or anything. I, I know there's a you know, shit ton of money involved in all this and a lot of expectations. And, and maybe there's a lot of people that um, you know, just haven't seen this pandemic up close and personal. And, and you know, well, I'm, I'm, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I hope it happens. Uh, I, ho- I hope the curve you know levels off soon and starts to decrease and we see things open up but uh i'm not even getting my hopes up for august end of august at this point so uh that's that uh so what i'm gonna do now is i'm gonna take you back to um basically the podcast that i originally recorded in its entirety and um as always, if you have any questions, comments, tincture recipes, quarantine advice, you can always email me at podcast at summercampmusicfestival.com. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, my guest today is about as big as you get in the bluegrass world. He's played with all the greats, which we will, you will hear us talk about. Um, again, this was recorded in February, so you won't hear any mention of the pandemic whatsoever. Um, He's one of our Scamp 20 headliners, Billy Strings. Billy was uh, super cool to talk to, and uh, the first time I looked down at the clock, we hadn't even scratched the surface of things uh, that I wanted to talk to him about. So this one's a little long uh, to start off, and uh, well, here's the interview. Stick around after the interview for the Jam of the Week, which is a live selection from a past camp. Hey, summer campers, uh, I am back, finally, after a long hiatus, and uh, very happy that my first guest is Mr. William Apostle, uh, a.k.a. Billy Strings. How you doing today, Billy? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, <clears throat> so, the first uh, thing that I ask every guest on this show, and I, I know for you in particular, this is going to be a little complicated. Uh, but the first question I ask everyone is, what was your first concert? And for someone like you, who I know grew up around music, um, that, co- that that question can be, what was the first concert that had an impact on you? Yeah. 
Well, the first one that comes to mind, um, I remember I remember being like probably four years old, maybe, and um, my mom took me to Charlotte Bluegrass Festival in uh, Charlotte, Michigan, and um, I feel like Larry Sparks and and Ralph Stanley, and there was a lot of great. Um, bluegrass musicians there and and I had heard bluegrass music you know around the campfire and around the house and my dad played with his friends and everything and I even tried to play a little bit with him back then but uh, this was the first time I heard bluegrass music on a PA system you know loud played into microphones and, and also the cats on stage they were wearing suits and hats and, and stuff, you know, and, and they had these big, like, gold-plated banjos, and it was just, I was like, holy shit. I mean, like, I, I watched these guys, like, it must have been a band, because they were all wearing, you know, suits and ties and big, nice cowboy hats and cowboy boots and shit, but they were carrying instruments, you know, banjos and fiddles and guitars and stuff. And I just saw them walk through the crowd, and it was like a nice through warm butter. It was just like, holy shit, look at those guys, you know. And that was my moment, like, you know, when you're a little kid and you you see the big red fire truck, and you're just like, I want to be a firefighter when I grow up. You know, when I saw those guys, it was like, I want to be one of those dudes when I grow up, you know. You thought you were wise, running around with other guys. And you heard me spend my time alone. You'll find out today it don't work out the way. You started a little game to play. From now on, from now on, all night long, all night long, you won't have a chance to treat your daddy wrong. You've been stepping, so they say, between midnight and day. I'm gonna sleep when I open from now on. There's a honky tonk down the road, just about a mile or so. I understand it's where you spend your time I got news for you, your little game is through From now on, baby, you're gonna toe the line From now on, from now on, all night long You won't have a chance to treat your daddy wrong You've been stepping, so they say, between midnight and day I'm gonna sleep when I hope from now on <laughs> I, I saw I saw that you had said from an early age, like maybe it was in kindergarten or something, that you had said you wanted to be in a bluegrass band. And uh, my son's yeah. a first grader, and I, I keep thinking about the things that, that he said he wants to be. Um, and he, he's pretty much at uh, president, chef, or uh, someone in a band. <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> well see what happens. I think two of the three are possible there. Absolutely. Well, anything's possible, you know. <laughs> I never thought that I'd be, you know, doing what I'm doing. And uh, it's, you know, to look back on that and think about how, you know, when I was four or five years old, that this is what I wished I could be doing, like my, one of my biggest dreams, and I'm actually doing it. And that's just, 
it's kind of it just feels crazy sometimes, you know, like like I'm, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed what I was meant to do, you know. Did you uh, did you ever get to play that festival that you that you're talking about the Charlotte in Michigan? Yeah, yeah, I sure did. That's awesome. So you you got to I I I don't know I don't know if I've talked to many people who have gotten to play the venue of their first concert, which is uh, that's pretty cool. Is the, is there one when you got older that uh, by any chance that blew your mind uh, in terms of? Any other guys? Because I know you got end up getting into other kinds of music once you were a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of uh, like really great metal shows, like really small underground. You know, I'm talking fifty to a hundred people in in attendance, and uh, bands that are making you know five hundred bucks and in a sandwich, but really great <laughs> local music. You know, and and I, I spent a lot of time going to those kind of shows when I was a teenager. Underground shows at, like, little VFW halls and shit. Very cool. I, I, I once saw there was a band uh, that went to my high school called the Smoking Popes, and they got pretty big. And they used to play this uh, this place near my high school called the, the Third Floor, and it was just the third floor of a building. There was no signage or anything. I think they just rented out the floor in the building. But at, at one point they came out and asked us to all stop jumping because they were worried that the floor was going to collapse. Yeah. So those are some of the best shows when you're in school. Now, now you um, you you were in some, like, hard maybe hard rock bands in, in your teens. Is that, is that accurate? But I don't know if I should say hard rock or metal. Yeah, I played in a metal band when I was, uh, you know, from the time I was about 13 to the time I was about 16. My big curiosity there is, uh, what were the names of those bands? Um, well, one band was called A Day of Moments. A Day of Moments? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we still even have, like, a song up on MySpace or something. <laughs> uh, cool. But, and then there was another band called Two Once Darkened Skies. Two Once Darkened Skies. That's a little bit more like I was expecting. Oh yeah, and that was that was when I was in like middle school and, and you know early high school. I was in that band, and there's actually a couple of videos on YouTube of us playing as well in Two Once Dark and Skies, and you know, just it's like pretty bad, <laughs> but it's pretty great I, too. You know? Impressive name for some middle schoolers, though, to once darkened skies. Well, the guy who was originally the vocalist for that band, his name's Tyler Tate, and he um, he actually fronts a band now called Hollow Front, and they're really awesome. They're they're like a a metalcore band, and they're from Grand Rapids. But um, yeah, he's always been a 
really artistic fella. Cool. Uh, well, uh, jumping back a little bit, um, and you you mentioned your your father, uh, Terry Barber, um, was a huge influence on you. And um, I see that you have uh, some more shows coming up with him. Probably, um, unfortunately, I don't know if we can promote them, but probably around the time this comes out, you'll be playing some more shows at Family Strings. And the, those yeah. are in Michigan? Yeah, um, you know, because I grew up in Michigan, and um, that's where my dad still lives. My mom and dad live up there, so I I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to go play some gigs with my dad, but I don't want to work him too hard on the road. So I just figured we'd book a couple gigs right around where he's at so he doesn't have to travel too much, and we'll just go play a couple small venues and, you know, sit there on stools and just play a nice little mellow concert. And um, and it's going to be really fun. You know, we're playing all the songs that I cut my teeth on, you know, everything that I grew up on. And... and um, it's very special to me, you know. I have a really special relationship with him, and especially, um, you know, through music. He he taught me a lot of amazing music that I cherish and love. And you know, if it wouldn't have been for him, maybe I wouldn't have gotten into those certain bands and stuff. You know, um, a lot of bluegrass and you know Doc Watson and Bill Monroe and stuff, but also stuff like King Crimson and Yes and. Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, and the Beatles, you know. I mean, my parents were music heads, and around our house growing up, you know, we we freaking worshipped those folks, you know. All the music that we love, all the records that we love, those people were larger than life to us, you know. Like my mom, she is absolutely like head over heels for Eddie Vedder. So I grew up, you know, listening to Pearl Jam and and stuff like that as well. <laughs> I ran into Eddie Vedder one time outside a Cub game, and it was uh, it was like 1995, and it was right after they had played Soldier Field, and my friends were my friend was just a Eddie Vedder fanatic and recognized him and had to I had to go up to him and ask him. <clears throat> you know, I, I heard he didn't like autographs at the time. Uh, I was like, I don't want an autograph. I just you know want to say hey thanks, and and uh, he he looked up and I swear he was just playing the part of Eddie Vedder like he knew what to do. He just gave me this evil smile. I said, I just I don't want to make sure it's you. And, and he, like, put his finger up to his mouth and said, shh, and gave me this, like, really evil kind of look. And I always thought that was funny. I, I, I think he knew I think he knew how to play Eddie Vedder at that time. Oh, man, that's that's awesome. Um, but that you know, that that's great that, you, that you're doing that with your dad. I I um I was reading something about how you were talking about being able to, you know, having the opportunity with with your your notoriety now to be able to introduce him to some of the greats, um, you know, Dell and um, just all these amazing people. Uh, that that's that's really awesome. I I I can't imagine a better way to pay him back for all the teaching that he did for you yeah and that's what it feels like man it just feels like you know like look dad you know all this stuff that you taught me like i'm i'm taking it and running with it you know and uh and also yeah it feels i mean amazing to be able to introduce him to some of his heroes you know it's like some of the people that my dad grew up you know listening to and 
really loving and stuff have become friends of mine. Yeah. And and it's just it's just crazy, you know, like like yeah, Dad, this is David Grisman, you know. And then we you know, we, we can all sit down and pick together and stuff and yeah, been able to introduce him to you know, Del McCurry and David Holt and T. Michael Coleman who played with Doc Watson. Yeah. And uh I saw you played with Jerry Douglas. Yeah, yeah, and anytime, you know, something like that happens, like, you know, Seldom Seen asked me to sit in as well, and they're, they're just a legendary kind of progressive bluegrass band from back in his day, and he he loved those guys, you know, and it's like, I get to just call my dad up and be like, hey, dad, what's up? Oh, you know, I'm just getting ready to go sit in with Seldom Seen, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yep. Well, that's, that's awesome. Cool, you know? And he's he's awful proud, and um, you know my mom and dad are proud, and I feel like that's that's what's been kind of pushing me forward this whole time. It's cool to see um, if if people get on YouTube and 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 uh, do a search on on you and Terry Barber. I, I love the the I think maybe nineteen year old you and him sitting in a music shop cranking out songs that's a that's a great video i'm not sure if you know yeah, which one i'm talking about yeah uh yeah it was an elderly instrument i think <laughs> a uh short-haired no tattooed billy <laughs> people yeah, see that at least not on my forearms yet <laughs> <laughs> about the early years um just because i just came into my head not too long before before we started this call um so oh brother where art thou came out when you were eight do you think that had an impact on you and and uh and the second question is did you get to see the down from the mountain tour no um i'll answer them backwards i never did see that tour and Man, I already knew all those songs before that movie came out. It was it was old news to you. That's what I wondered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like everybody was flipping out about Man of Constant Sorrow, and it's like, yeah, man, I've been playing, you know, I've been learning this song since I was four. <laughs> but but really, I mean, I remember listening to tapes with my dad. He had this old like uh, 1970s Chevy C10 truck, and he had a tape player in there. You'd reach in, reach underneath the seat, and there's this plastic case full of tapes, and they're all bluegrass tapes. And um, so he had all that stuff on there, man, and we listened to that stuff. And I remember my dad kind of teaching me that song, Man of Constant Sorrow. Um, 
out on my back porch one day, and that was quite a few years before that movie came out. Um, but yeah, I remember thinking that it was cool that that song was in a movie. You know? <laughs> well, I remember on that tour, Dan Tominsky wasn't on the tour, but Ralph Stanley was, and oh wow. And so for me at the time, I was like, oh, I, I love that Dan Kaminsky version so much. But then, like, I probably didn't even understand at that point in my life what, how cool it was to be able to see Ralph Stanley. Yeah, I never got to see Ralph. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, he, he, he's like somebody who's, you know, when he was born, he was born with this beautiful gift and this beautiful voice. And, you know, him and his brother both. And uh, they wrote some of the most amazing songs that will ever be written. And, you know, they had such a sound. And his voice was so uh, unique and distinctive that, I don't know, man, it's just amazing to me to think about that kind of stuff. Like, your voice is, you know, you can't really help you get what you get, whether you're a lead singer or you sing tenor, yeah. or you know you can you can sing really high, or you can you know you got a big deep voice. You just get what you get, and and that's what you got to use as your instrument. Now you can practice and try to hone it, but you know really when it comes down to it, I feel like you get what you get. And Ralph was just born with this most amazing sounding. Um, you know, there's something some like I heard somewhere that. When he was a little kid, like they, you know, they'd call him the kid with the hundred-year-old voice or whatever, you know. <laughs> that that, uh, that brings two questions to mind. Um, uh, I guess the first one would be: Do you know anyone with a higher voice than Kel McCurry? <laughs> well, you know, maybe some female. <laughs> okay, that I guess I guess I meant a male with a higher voice than Del McCurry. Yeah. Um, you know, I really don't, I don't, I don't know who could hit that high baritone that good. Um, I had, uh, I had Jeff Austin on the podcast last year, um, not to bring up a sad subject, but he was talking about, um, how Ronnie had said to him not, not too long ago that they were in the studio and he said, dad's voice is getting higher. How's that even possible? How do you get older and get more range? I don't know. The same thing happened to Doc Watson. Um, I feel like, I'm not sure what that is. I mean, I feel like Del McCurry, he just gets better with age. I mean, he yeah. just, his voice is still just amazing. And, he, you know, he can remember all the words. And his guitar playing is fantastic. And, you know, he's just so experienced, man. And he's sharp as a tack.
I don't even see him as, like, this old man. You know, I don't. Like, when you hang out with Dale, he's, like, you know, it's not like hanging out with some old man that's, like, you know, not all the way there. He's fucking sharp as a tack, you know, and it's it's just amazing. Do you feel like you're the, the young guy hanging out in an old scene, or, or, or is it not so much that way? I mean, there's there's plenty of younger bands, you know, Green Sky and String Dusters and Yonder, Horseshoes. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a younger guy ever since I was, you know, whenever I was in school, like, I was hanging out with people that were two grades ahead of me. I don't, I, it's just always how it's been. I guess yeah. my, my brother was two years older than me, so I hung out with a lot of his friends. And so I've always been, you know, no matter what, I I really didn't hang out with that many people that were my age, you know, in, like, high school and stuff. Like, a lot of the... I mean, I had my homies who were in, in my grade and stuff, people I skated with and all that. But, like, I felt like, I've always felt like people who are my age are immature. <laughs> and, like, you know, at least back then. And and then, uh, so I would be hanging out with people that were older than me a little bit, you know, that could already, you know, buy booze and stuff. I mean, shit. I was trying to weed when I was, like, eight years old, you know. By the time I was <laughs> ten, I was smoking cigarettes and shit, and, you know, by the time I was 13, I was not even living at my mom's house, and I was just, like, out partying and shit, so... Well, that, that'll like, do it. Yeah, and it's just, I just, I grew up in a small town where you're bored, there's nothing <laughs> to do, Yeah. and so you try drugs, and you try other shit, and next thing you know, that's just the way of life. It's like, you, how am I going to get high today? Um, you, 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 you mentioned something earlier about um, you're born with it, and that I had this whole conversation with with my wife the other day about um, it was a couple of years ago. Rolling Stone wrote an article about you, and, and the headline was um, "Bluegrass Prodigy," and. It, it spawned this whole conversation between my wife and I about the word prodigy. I said, well, he seems kind of old to be a prodigy. <laughs> and, and and then we, we, we went back and forth on, on what that word means. I'm like, well, you don't hear, you know, David Grisman, mandolin prodigy, because David Grisman's an old man. <laughs> but yeah. what, what, we, what we settled on was that it, it implies a certain innate talent that you had from a young age and uh and that you do get to keep that moniker into into your older years but i i don't know if you had any thoughts about being called a prodigy or well i, I wouldn't go that far <laughs> <laughs> well well but, rolling uh, stone did and they 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 get to be an authority yeah um I feel like I'm just a lucky guy. Like I, for one thing, I got a head start. You know, I was for sure. Like I could. By the time I was seven years old, I was playing, you know, complete bluegrass songs with my dad and stuff, and learning about all this really amazing music. And so, you know, then I went through my little phases and you know got into metal bands and stuff like that. But by the time I you know, was an adult, I realized that all this training that I had as a kid was what, you know, at the time it was just a, like a way of life 
and just what we did around my house. You know, it wasn't, I never thought I would make it playing music. I mean, that's just absurd. Um, but by the time I, you know, was like 18, I realized, okay, I've already had all this training, you know, uh, this is my calling, you know, this is my thing. I'm going to be a bluegrass musician and it's always been what I've wanted to do. I just, it took me some time to realize that I need to run after it, you know, because I, let's face it, it's just like, it's hard to make it as a musician or especially in bluegrass, you know? Yeah, and it's a constant race, too. It's it's not like you can make it and then settle down. Yeah, but I also, like, I failed all the way through school, you know? Like, the only reason I graduated high school was I, like, paid somebody, you know, money every week. I was selling mushrooms at the time, so I had money. And, <laughs> and I paid this kid five bucks for assignment so I could pass algebra and I graduate. Um, so 25 bucks a week I paid this kid. And <laughs> he, would, he would help me, you know, on the big test, we wouldn't put all the answers exactly right. You know, we'd, we'd mix them up a little bit so that the teacher didn't think we were cheating or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, that's how I made it through high school was selling mushrooms. <laughs> and, uh, it's funny, I often ask what people's first jobs were. I don't think I've ever gotten any selling mushrooms. Yeah, and then I, I realized that, man, I'm going to get caught. And this is, you know, I don't want to go to jail or something, so I just stopped doing that. Um, but, I mean, honestly, without that, if I wasn't able to, like, pay that kid, I don't think I would have graduated because I do not understand math and algebra and shit like that. It's just, like, it's so lost on me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some part of your brain that does, though. I mean, I, <laughs> you can't, you can't be your caliber of musician and not have some part of your brain understanding a certain degree of algebra. Well, you know, when I was in school and I was failing, and I had these teachers that were, you know, pointing their fingers in my face saying you know, you need to do this assignment and you need to do this and that. Meanwhile, I'm like couch surfing, you know, and like trying to think, okay, how am I going to eat dinner tonight? And you really think fucking algebra problem is important? Like, you know, like it's not. Yeah, I'm living in the real world. Like I don't, you know, I don't need to learn this shit. What yeah. I need to do is figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life and you know, I'm sorry, but this, your little algebra test is not very um, upfront on my list of shit that I think I need to do to make my life better. <laughs> well, um, I I think you're one of the lucky few that got to prove that you, you didn't need it. Well, it was always like this, man. It's like, I didn't know how to do that algebra stuff, but I've always had instincts and like, you know, I don't want to say, like, street smart, but, like, you know, like, I just, I don't know. I always had a, my eye on the bigger picture. And then, so, like, when it comes to music and stuff, like, I don't know how to read music. I can't, you know, write. I can't. Um, That's interesting. A lot, of, a lot of times when I'm in sessions and stuff, 
I mean, I, I've always learned by ear. So it's just like, it's almost the same thing. It's not mathematical to me. It's about feeling and instinct and just like knowing what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess my point is that that, that instinct somewhere in there, it, you know, it, at least uh, in terms of counting off and time signatures and uh, somewhere in there it's there. It's just more instinctual for you. And I mean, right. it, you know, get, getting that out on yeah. a piece of paper is a completely different beast, I understand. but Yeah, I, mean, um, I just don't, I don't. I don't know why e, e equals MC square. I really don't fucking know why, and I don't care. <laughs> um, right on. Well, we'll move on from uh, the theory of relativity to um, I have uh, I have a mystery guest who's going to ask a question, and I'm, I'm just going to play this uh, for my speaker here. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear it. We'll see. Um, I can cut the actual clip in. So this mystery guest uh, asked, is going to ask you a question, and I, I think the question is kind of rhetorical, but I'll see if you can guess who it is. All right, here okay. we go. Oh, Billy, how do you know where to put your fingers? Can you place that voice? Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> it is someone you know. Really? How do you know where to put your fingers? <laughs> I don't know, man. Sounds like man. All I right. don't know. It's... I'll, I'll give it away. You ready? Yeah. Do you want to say who you are, mystery guest? Oh, uh, Billy. It, it, it's old Uncle Sam. Sam Bush here. Can't wait to see you again. Love you, Billy. <laughs> so I uh, I went to see Sam Bush a couple nights ago in Chicago, and uh, uh, you know, to talk about a guy to um, model your career in terms of, well actually everything for you because you know he does a little bit of everything which I can see you doing you know watching you sit in with Andy Frasco the other night and um but he uh he he's such a a good person with his time and and his energy and comes out after his shows and talks to people and I just have a, a huge amount of respect for him for that um, yeah, not to mention he's a total badass on the, on the you know, whatever instrument he's playing. Um, their band is just unbelievable how tight it is. I can tell you a story about Sam Bush and how he changed my life. Yeah, please do. Um, Sam has been, you know, a huge influence, obviously, and I just love him to death. And, um, He's like, you know, sometimes I feel like I look back and I think, man, maybe this is what Sam felt like when he was my age or something, you know, like, you know, and all those guys, Bela and Jerry and stuff, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe I'm doing what they were doing when, when they were my age. And um, I think they also see that in me, you know, they, they see like a young guy that's sort of carrying on the tradition, you know, and, and, and getting the music out there to, to other audiences and other people. Um, but, so anyways, just, you know, to say how much Sam Bush means to me. I just love him. He's amazing. Um, but this one time, we were at John Hartford Memorial uh, Festival down there in Dean Blossom. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
and we were on stage together, and we're playing this song, you know, and there was about 15 people on stage or something. And we were playing, you know, Rolling in My Sweet Baby's Arms or something like that, just some bluegrass song. And I went up to the front of the stage, and I I did my solo or whatever, and then I circled around to the back of the stage, back by the curtain. And um, I, uh, since I had already taken my solo, and I wasn't near any microphone or anything, I just figured I'd lean over and have a drink. So I just stopped playing, and I leaned over, and I took a drink. And um, at that exact moment, I looked over at, at Sam Bush, and, and he had already taken his solo, and he wasn't near any microphones at all, and nobody could hear him either, but he had his eyes closed, and he was playing the shit out of the rhythm of this song, <laughs> and and he was playing it with every ounce of his heart and soul, and, you know, not, you know, nobody could hear him, he was not near any microphone, I mean, there was 15 other people on stage that were all singing and picking. He was playing the song for the sake of the song, you know, and he was, he has enough integrity musically to give the song 110% of his energy and focus, uh, you know, 110% of the time. Yeah, even when he's not soloing or up front. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, and I felt like such a little kid. I felt like, it was like, dude, we're playing a fucking song right now. Like, why do you think you can just stop playing and take a drink? Like, play the song. Don't you don't you care about the song? <laughs> like, do you have enough respect for this song to just at least wait until it's over to take a drink? You know? And it was just like, holy shit. And, it, and ever since then, I mean, still to this day, whenever I walk on stage, sometimes I think about that. And I think, okay, focus. Like, give the song your respect. You know, <laughs> don't be, don't be lollygagging. Don't be thinking about oatmeal raisin cookies. Don't, you know, focus on the fucking song, man. Come on. You know, you you talk about not being a good student, but of of music, something that you're passionate about, you are are an amazing student. I mean, that's that's pressure. You. you I, I totally get what you're saying. You're allowed to get a drink during <laughs> during the show, though. Like you, you're obviously putting that kind of pressure on yourself, you know, to be better. Yeah. Well, I, I always am, um, and I always have when it comes to music, for sure. You know, like, I mean, dude, I'm hanging out with people like Bela Fleck and Sam Bush and stuff. So it's like. <laughs> oh God! You know, whenever I go play with Brian Sutton or something, I I just got to go home and practice, you know, because it's like okay. You know, well, that <laughs> that brings me to my the, to my next thing I, that I wanted to tell you. Now I I stopped recording. I just made that little recording of Sam Bush on on my phone, and I I'm step that I hit stop after that because he went on to say, "Let me tell you about what's." awesome about Billy like it's like a, he's like he's obviously gotten you know a lot of notoriety and, and gotten bigger he's like but every time I see him he's just better and better and better and better and he said a lot of people get to that that level and plateau and don't keep working at it to to, to learn new things because they don't need to 
And he said, and that's not Billy. Billy's always working and he's always getting better. So I'm just super impressed by that. And then he said, also tell him that I want to record with him. So I'm going to go ahead and take credit for that now. Uh, when you do eventually <laughs> record with him, it's it's, uh, it's because of me. I'm going to go ahead and just say that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll make sure to send you some royalty checks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll be waiting for my pennies from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that's cool. I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm glad to get to pass that info along from him. And, uh, yeah, he, he spoke very highly of you. the other day the, the one person I was looking it, I, I kept looking on YouTube to find you and everybody I could think of that I would want to see you play with and there was one person I didn't find um, actually on the younger side have you ever played with Chris Feely? yeah <clears throat> yeah we played a couple times um, I don't think there is anything on YouTube or anything I actually worked with Chris in the studio um, one time for this Bela Fleck project um, that is you know, uh, yet to be released into the wild. Um, oh, I was just going to say, that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but before that, you know, we just sat in with a couple bands. Maybe we both got invited to come play, sit in with a band at a festival or something. And um, he's always been extremely gracious. Like, for instance, the first time I really hung out with him, I was, like, getting ready to go up and introduce myself. You know, I'm like, oh, that's Chris Dealey. Like, you know, I should introduce myself. And I was walking up to him, and he just goes, Billy! And he opened <laughs> his arms and gave me a big old hug, you know. And I was like, oh, he already knows my name. That's Wait. awesome. Yeah. He's he's fucking amazing. Uh, he played some shit in the studio that literally took me to outer space and back. And I don't... I don't know that I've ever really returned. <laughs> yeah, he's an amazing musician for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I'm expecting to see you on uh, live from here, his show, uh, the next couple of years. That would be amazing. Yeah, he's he's doing an amazing job with that, and he's he's the guy for the job, man. And uh, that's got to be a ton of work too. That show. I can't imagine. I mean, I don't think there's anybody else that could do it because Chris is just so, he's so driven and he has so much capacity for for that kind of work. And, um, you know, he can retain information <laughs> and songs and stuff. You know, he's he's just great. He's a, he's a true genius. Cool. 
Well, um, I know I've kept you way over our time already. Uh, I've got a few more things. Well, I want to talk about, uh, well, I just want to throw out there for listeners that your album Home came out what, in 2019. That is your, let's say, second al- second full-length album. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, did you, I saw you signed with Rounder Records last June. So is that, is Home out on Rounder Records? Yeah. Yes, cool. Is. Are they? Is that Nashville based? And you, you live in Nashville now, right? Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. And uh, yeah, Rounders in Nashville. Rounder has been, you know, like kind of one of the main labels in the bluegrass world for a long time. A lot of my favorite records in my actual collection of like vinyl, you know, are Rounder and uh, Sugar Hill. Um, awesome. So it's just it's really cool to to be a part of that team and um, a, a lot of great people work over there and they're really you know they've been extremely kind and extremely you know they haven't taken their foot off the pedal in a way that we like and it's just um, yeah it's been good. Cool. So, um, and then I just want to mention, uh, whenever I do it, whenever I interview a solo artist, I, I always want to throw out the, the names of the other band members. Um, Billy Failing, uh, Royal, is it Massat? Yeah, uh, Royal Massat and Jared Walker. And Jared Walker, yep. Um, and are those guys all Nashville-based? Uh, how'd you meet those well, guys? Well, uh, I, I first met Billy Failing at a little picking party right across the street from my house. Um, I used to live on the street where uh, Lindsay Lou was actually my next-door neighbor, and she's an amazing musician that I've been friends with for a while. And she would have these parties, and people would come over picking. And when I first moved to Nashville, I moved on my own, um, meaning without a band. And I kind of came to to find a band. And um, it wasn't very long before I met Billy Failing. And, man, we did some gigs, just the two of us, before we got, you know, a bass player and a mandolin player and stuff. But it was, you know, so Billy's been with me the longest, and he's like a brother, you know. And um, and then I met Royal Massat at a fish show here in Nashville. And, you know, we had kind of, like, messaged each other before that or something, because he said, you know, hey, we should jam sometime. And I had just hired this other bass player. Uh, so it was almost like one of those weird things where I was like, not that I was trying to like dodge his call or anything, but it's like, uh, fuck, he's looking for a job, and I already hired this other guy, so I don't have one for him, you know? And uh, so, but then when I met him at Fish, I was like, oh, this guy's cool, you know? And <laughs> awesome. And then it turned out that... Um, the other bass player did work out, so he was, like, ready to go. And so, uh, yeah, Royal jumped right on, man, and he's been, he's an amazing musician, you know. He's He helps me learn a lot of stuff. I, I learn a lot from Royal. And I learn a lot from Jared Walker, too. He is a bluegrass ninja. I mean, he's, <laughs> like, he really is. He's, like, I mean, he's been doing it since he was a kid. And uh, you can tell when you play with him that it's just like he's got everything just inside of his brain from David Grisman sounds to Sam Bush to his own wacky shit that he comes up with. And and, um, 
he you can just tell that he's listening to so much bluegrass. I mean, he's so knowledgeable about all the old bluegrass music and stuff, and and we really geek out on that together, which is something that I really enjoy. Um, but honestly, right now, man, it feels like I'm in a band with three of my, you know, my absolute best friends. If I were to get married, they'd be my three best men right away. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I caught you um, at the Taste of Randolph Street Festival in Chicago last year, and I know you guys, um, I remember you guys covered Back on the Train that night, which I, I was pretty excited about. Uh, you were just talking about meeting uh, Royal at, at, at a fish show. I think that was the cover you yeah. did, the fish cover you did, right? Yeah. I saw Trey play that on live from here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, whoa, that's fucking cool. I like it all acoustic like that, you know? And so I was just like, we need to play this shit. Travel is, is 
is that the way you prefer it to stay busy? Um, or is it wearing on you? Yeah, I, I used to. Um, but man, it's it gets tiring sometimes. You know, I'm not gonna lie. It's you know, I'm I'm all over the country all the time. Uh, sometimes it's nice to just to just you know go home and hang out for a while. Yeah, of that. What, what do you do? I mean, it's a lot of like. Um, hurry up and wait, right? <laughs> like, hurry up to get there and then and then wait. Do you, uh, do you just do social of... media stuff to keep up with your with your job, or do you play games on your phone? Or man, we just bullshit in the van all the time. We're so stupid. We are just like idiotic. <laughs> the things that we talk about, and I mean the. The conversations that we get into with each other just in the band, you know, are just like, if anybody knew the kind of shit that we talked about, nobody would ever listen to us again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just like, gosh, yeah, and that's how we entertain ourselves, you know. We just like, you know, we dog on each other a lot, and we just kind of, I don't know, make it, make sure it's fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if and it, it stops being really, fun, you should take a break. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, there's been times where, um, you know, I've been sort of for the last year or so, or maybe year and a half, I've been dealing with some anxiety. And um, kind of recently I've gotten gotten that under control. But, man, there was a time where, you know, last fall or something where, man, I was, you know, pretty much almost having panic attacks before the shows and um, just really exhausted, you know, and I think, you know, when you're physically exhausted, it's so hard to take care of your mental um, fatigue and, and to cope with it. For sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm sure it's hard to keep a normal sleep schedule even. Oh, which yeah. I know it's totally. important to mental health. Um, yeah, and so, you know, there has been times where I've definitely been to the bottom of the barrel as far as feeling like, God, what the fuck am I doing out here? Like, I can't take this anymore. Like, holy shit, this is crazy. Like, I'm so tired. Um, but then, you know, when I get on stage and everybody's smiling and having a great time, that all just goes away. And and I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm out here because music is fucking magic. Yeah. And, and it's love and it's everything, you know? Well, even as a fan, it, you know, you, you go through, like, getting, getting to a festival, you know, lugging your shit in, getting all set up. And and, and sometimes with, with concerts, I think, like, is the amount of time that I'm enjoying myself worth the amount of time? I mean, because I've flown places to go see shows, you know. It's like, okay, so I'm having two hours of bliss, but it took me eight hours to get there. I I always wonder if the artists have that, like... Is all of what I went through the entire day worth the two hours of bliss that I spent on stage? I would yeah, imagine that's something is. you have to ask yourself every once in a while. I mean, it's it's all worth it, man. It's worth it to bring music to the people and to let, let a little bit of light into some, you know, even if it's just one person to, you know, if one of our songs speaks to even just one person to, to brighten their day a little bit, it's all worth it, you know. Well, man, I think that's a great note to end on, and uh, I, I I think you've brought a lot of happiness to a lot of people. And there's uh, 
no value you can put on that. I mean, that's uh, it's important. That's what gets us all through, man. It's a lot. It's a lot cooler than money. <laughs> For you sure. It's like, and that's what. That's why my job is so cool. It's like that's way cooler than getting like a big paycheck or something. It's just like being able to go around the country and meet people and and hang out and laugh, forget about all the bullshit for a little bit. It's just, it's the best. Awesome. Well, man, uh, we are looking forward to having you at summer camp, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you are in demand, and uh, looking at your schedule over the summer, uh, take some time for yourself, my man. Make sure you're feeling all right. You've got a busy summer ahead of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing just fine. All right, good. Feeling good. Well, thanks again, man. Uh, and uh, all right, I guess we will see you at summer camp. All right, man. Thank you so much for calling, and have a good day. All right, you too. I'm slaving seven days. I have an eighty and three. Methamphetamine has got a damn good hold of me. My tweaker friends have got me to the point of no return. I just took a lighter to the bulb and watched it burn. This life of sin has got me in. Well, it's got me back in prison once again. Here's my only phone call contact. My daddy got 20 long years for some dust in a bag. All right. Mom and Papa said I wouldn't be locked up in prison Troubled in the head I took that little popping Sucked until my mind was spun But I got 20 years to sit and think of what I've done This life of sin has got me in Well, it's got me back in prison once again Use my only phone call to contact my daddy I got 20 long years for some dust in a bag. Okay, my thanks again to Billy for taking the time to talk to me. He's going to be everywhere coming up. He was just opening for Umphreys McGee, and he'll be opening for Jason Isbell in July. As for summer camp, while the schedule has not been released, I can tell you that he won't be there on Friday, as he's scheduled at Delfest that day. So he'll be joining us later in the weekend. I'd love to see him sit in with the Everyone Orchestra. I'm looking at you, Matt Butler. All right, on to the jam of the week. Here's Keller Williams' Grateful Grass in 2015 on the Moonshine stage, joined by the infamous String Dusters with the Grateful Dead song, Bertha. I'll be back in a couple weeks, y'all. Got some good stuff lined up for you, so keep tuning in.
Yeah.